If you'll turn in your Bibles, now we'll start our learning time together in John chapter 15 and 16. Here's the theme. Plan ahead. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. A friend of mine, former Marine, he says, reconnaissance is never wasted. We have a phrase in our culture, right? Uh, We're managing expectations. My dermatologist this week said, oh, this is going to hurt. She did not disappoint. The idea here is there's tremendous consolation in our emotions when our expectations are realistic so that our hopes are more often realized when our hopes are based on what's true, what's going to happen. I mean, many of our adult communities, if you attend those, there's a prevailing theme in in certainly the, the seasons of life communities where we're just trying to help you understand what to expect, what's next, here's what's coming, embrace yourself. The passage we're going to look at today, that's precisely what Jesus is doing. He's going to say, he's going to come in and say, okay, here's what's next so that you won't be surprised. Managing expectations. He says that in chapter 16, verse 1. He says, now I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Uh-oh, what did he say? <laughs> Why would he say that I've told you these things ahead of time to keep you from falling away? Verse 18 says, if the world hates you, know that it is. It has hated me before it hated you. Oh, well, there you go. Jesus said, this is going to hurt, so it's okay. Let's look at the passage. I'm going to try to read through as best I can, and we'll look at how Jesus is preparing us for what happens when we follow Christ and turn our lives over to him, and he changes our very nature. That's what the theme is. Look at verse, chapter 15, verse 17. These things I've commanded you that you would love one another. If the world hates you, know that they hated me before they hated you. Here's the reason they hate Jesus and the reason we're going to be hated. This is the theme. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master? If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. I have kept my word. If, I'm sorry. If they, if they kept my word, they will keep yours as well. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who had sent me. If I had come and spoken to them, if I, I'm sorry, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates the Father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But the word that is written, so that the word that was written in their law must be fulfilled They hated me without excuse. But when the helper comes, whom I have sent to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness to me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Chapter 16, 1 says, and I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. Certainly the pervasive theme that's happening in there is about persecution, but it's in the context of 
being in the world or of the world. And when John writes about being in the world or of the world, he's talking about any system or organization that is opposed to the glory of God. That can be philosophically, it could be emotional, it can be physical, and certainly the spirit world. Jesus has been sought after and persecuted since his very birth. All the babies being killed because Jesus was born through his life and ultimately leaving, leading uh, to his crucifixion. And Jesus said, look, this is what they did to me. They're going to do that to you. I have taken you out of the world and therefore the world is going to hate you. And by taking you out of the world while leaving you here, you're going to there's going to be an anxiousness. Uh, uh, something's going to happen within you because now you have a new citizenship in heaven, but you're still here. You'll be longing for something more. Even if you had everything, you'll have an anxiety about you, uh, 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 an impatience, a confusion sometimes. And Jesus would say, you're homesick. That's just you being homesick. You're not of the world anymore. And because of that, he said, the world will hate you. Why? Why would the world hate us for being out of the world? Jesus is going to give in this section, he's going to give us three reasons. He's going to say, because you now have an alien citizenship with a set of alien values that will incite people. And third, he said, I'm going to give you an alien cause. Those three reasons are the reasons that he's going to give us in this passage. The first one is you have an alien heart an alien home, alien citizenship. Jesus is telling us that our experience with him, to follow him, is making a radical change in who we are and who we belong to. He's saying that it, becoming a follower of Christ changes the passport of our very souls, changes who we belong to. And there's, now there's the restlessness within us, but also a confusion with people outside that we knew and now things have changed and there's something off now. We just Something is different. Oh, Jesus would say radically different. There's a wonderful illustration or example of this in Tolkien's work in his four books, both The Hobbit and the trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. And if you remember the story, let me just tell you first, you need to know about hobbits, what they live for and their purpose. Here it goes. Never leave the Shire. <laughs> Never leave the little village because you're supposed to, you know, your purpose in life, the, what you live for is to be merry with your friends as much as possible. Therefore, eat good food as much as you can. Uh, drink and, and, and celebrate with your friends as often as possible. Listen, you got to be safe. <laughs> like, be at peace. Never leave the shire. Those are the rules. Well, in the storyline, if you can see, if, if you know the story, right, the, the great wizard Gandalf comes in and all but abducts these few little hobbits from the Shire and takes them on great adventures. If you've seen the DVDs or the videos, you, I'm sure you've seen those movies, right? Three, there's like nine to 12 hours, <laughs> depending on which version you, of, of heroic epic adventures where they save all of Middle Earth. And then in the last movement of, of the whole sequence of events, the last movement, you see the hobbits back in the Shire 
in the tavern and everybody's festive like they always are. That's what hobbits do. But our little, new, our little hobbits are off to the side. They're talking amongst themselves and behind them are all their friends enjoying the time. They're back home in their own homeland that they fought and nearly died for, but they're not home. Something has changed within them deep inside. They left the Shire and then lived dangerously. And then they became friends with and fought alongside the elves, like near angelic beings. And then they come back to the Shire that they still love, but they can't call it home. Now they live in this paradox, right? They're at home, but they're not feeling at home. They've, they've lost their citizenship. Their hearts and souls now belong in the book across the Western Sea. And their relationships with their friends that they got along with just perfectly before they left are just not the same. They're not in like, sequence anymore. Something's changed. Something radically has changed. Jesus is setting our expectations here by saying, do not be surprised when you have this alien heart that's causing you consternation now, living in a paradox and even relationships. You used to be part of that world. And when you were in the world and of the world, they were at peace with you and you were at peace with them. And Jesus now comes in and says, oh, my dear friends, I hope you appreciate what's taken place within your soul, heaven itself has been implanted within you and that changes everything. Now you've been taken out of the world. I chose you, you didn't chose me, I chose you, I've taken you out of this world and now you can't rest like you used to here. And your relationships that you had before, it's like a wheel out of balance. It's like something's not like it used to be. Others that knew you when, they don't know how to respond either. They, they're sometimes confused. Sometimes they're enraged. So Jesus is saying this, you're not that hobbit that you used to be. Committed to never living, leaving the Shire, always being at peace, looking for some kind of prosperity. He says, look, <laughs> The spirit of God is within you now. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The spirit is now the sap within our souls and it's running through us. And, and that, that spirit is gonna guide us into crazy adventures that, might, that will be dangerous and be threatening towards things like safety and security, peace and reputation. Yeah. You're not going to fit in like you used to. It's a radical change of paradigm in life. It changes our, our meaning and our purpose and our identity. Peter puts it like this when he writes, first sentence of his first epistle, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces. You're in exile, <laughs> but you, you haven't left. Well, what changed? My body's in the same place. My heart belongs to heaven. 
It says we're, we're aliens. And I have chosen the word alien to mean like space aliens from outside the planet. We're coming in. People do not understand us. And we say, hey, I come in peace. <laughs> and what do, what do the, you've, seen, you've seen enough science fiction. We come in peace. Kill the alien. We don't know them. We don't understand them. They're a threat to us. Because the world says, if you're not with us, you're against us. And Jesus said, you're no longer of the world. And so the world's going to say, you know, brace yourself. Just change your citizenship. This change of nature, look what he says. Keep in mind the world hates you. And John says a lot of the world, we hate it. Look what John, same author, he writes an epistle later. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, <laughs> comes not from the Father, but from the world. You can survey every single book in the New Testament, four Gospels, all the epistles, 27 different times. The writers promise this. My dear brothers and sisters, manage these ex this expectation. You will be persecuted. It is a promise. In the New Testament, throughout every book, you don't belong here. And that's going to get you persecuted. That's the first reason. The second reason, Jesus says, you have alien values. You have a whole different set of values. Look what he says in verse 20. Remember, remember the word that I said to you, this is Jesus speaking, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If, you, if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours. If they kept my teaching and you teach my teaching, they're going to keep your teaching. But they hate my teaching. Here's the, here's the alien value. The problem with Jesus' teaching and Bible revelation. Like think of it, Bible revelation itself. Here's the problem. It is absolutely authoritative. Jesus, in his teaching, he would say, truly, truly, I say to you. Like, this is true truth coming. Sometimes he would say, you've heard it said, this is what I say. When Jesus speaks, he is God. And the Bible speaks God's truth, but it's alien. It's from a source outside of the world. And, and because it's outside of the world and outside of space and time, it says that there's a standard out there. There's a person, there's a deity that judges and has defined what is right and real and true. And that's not up to us. We submit to those truths. We submit to those standards. The world values is they're committed with a conviction. Like they have given their life and they've bet their soul's eternal future on this. There are no absolutes. There's no absolute truth. There's no absolute ethics. And they have to hold on to that. They say there is nothing outside of our own experience, our own mankind, that can tell us you are wrong. Nothing higher than what's right here. And Jesus comes in and says, oh, no, no. 
I have taught absolute truth. I was persecuted. You're going to teach what I taught, absolute truth. Don't be surprised. You're going to be persecuted as well. <laughs> the, the world has no place for divine revelation. And so everything, everything is, relevant, is relative, right? The, not only just ethics, and we're pretty obvious these days, everything's relative in ethics, but now even right, real, and true, now even truth is relative where you can't define certain things that you know to be true because that's subjective as well. So you know, now we, like, this is, this is how you work in a relative culture. You, like 51% of the people say, or usually leads to might makes right. Whoever has the power, the most power, they, def they define, they decide what is right, what is real and true. And you can see this played out in, in various cultures. Uh, in the context of a government, with certainly communism and socialism, and even monarchies, when there's a need for absolute power, what's the first thing that needs to be done? To squall, to squall, you know, any kind of debate, you round up God-fearing people that believe in divine revelation, right? God-fearing Jews and Christians, and <laughs> that are going to teach an outside ethic. They're going to judge those people in control, and you round those people up, and you give them a chance. You let them reprogram, send them to some camp or something. You marginalize them. You call them names. You make them less than human, and then sometimes, ultimately. You're going to have to destroy them because they're bringing in an outside source of what's right and real and true, some teaching. I mean, the, even, the, even the Nazis, right? Everything, do you know this? Everything the Nazis did, they made legal first. Most of the men in charge uh, were, that were making the decisions had higher uh, degrees in law or in medicine. And so they knew what they were going to do. They passed a law to make it legal. They did those things. You can see even in the, the book or the movie, The Trials of Nuremberg, when they're finally brought to, tr to try uh, crimes against humanity, their defense was, there's no absolute right and wrong. It's might makes right. We were the mightiest. We decided to do these things. The only reason we're being tried is because we lost a war. Don't say there's any right and wrong from outside. We just, we just lost. <laughs> so our culture, a little bit, okay, let's get away. It's easy to blame the Nazis, right? Like, look at our culture. What's our absolute standard is sincerity. And if you argue against anybody's sincerity, then we're going to try to reprogram you. We're going to marginalize you, call you names, give you labels, make you less than human, and maybe, I don't know, let's see what happens next. Point is this, Christianity is always countercultural because Christianity isn't from any culture. It's from, it's alien. It's from heaven. It brings heavenly values. And so when you Combine the first two together that we have an alien home, alien heart, alien passport with alien values. What happens is we won't cherish what the world cherishes. And we won't sacrifice for the causes that the world wants us to sacrifice for. We're, we're not playing well with others. And the world will hate the power of our independence. I... I was listening to a great interview this week about 
a man that was raised uh, in, a, in a very progressive home. His, both parents were that way. He was a, a big proponent of large government because a large and powerful government can help more people. And when he got into adult life, he, he started trying to do what he could to help the environment. Did a lot of research, wrote papers, award-winning author in all the right magazines. Then he wrote a book, just chasing down the independent facts and that book didn't go along with the party. It was somewhat independent. And the culture says, you drink our Kool-Aid, all of it, or else. And since he wouldn't, let the process begin. They tried to reprogram him. He wouldn't do it. So then they started marginalizing him. They started calling him names, right? They deplatformed him. They began to literally censor his work, banning him from various things. <laughs> And it got worse because later on, he was, he was asked to oversee some of the investigative research of who was causing this banning, who was doing the censorship. So he found the original emails, and it was obvious and without doubt that it, the United States government was not only funding it, but requiring he and some of his friends to be banned and censored. So his value system was just and so in the interview, the person asked him, what, what do you do with all this intense anger and hatred that came at you? And he said, listen, he said, oh, I became a Christian. Because what is, what is the only antidote for that level of anger and hatred? Love, he said, love and forgiveness. And what faith tells us to do something like that? Christians. I follow Christ because Christ asks us to do what he says, what's a faith for if it's not asking us and requiring us to do the impossible? <laughs> so I got involved in Christianity. That's why. That's how I did it. So the, the point is he's able to live his life and not just reflect back the anger and hatred and not become that kind of person because of his independence, because of his, his citizenship and his value system is not from here but from heaven. And they hate his independence because he's not beholding to anyone but God. That's why. And it shows up in the world when we find ourselves not beholding to whatever it is. Like the firm. Since the firm isn't the reason we're living our lives, we might miss a promotion. When, we, when, when race isn't the first and foremost thing that we use to identify ourselves, we can't be part of that crowd anymore. When the political party that we associate with isn't first and foremost our primary that we wouldn't sacrifice for, if you won't drink the Kool-Aid, all of the Kool-Aid, or else. The world, the company, whatever it might be, they can't trust us because that cause doesn't own us. That's why. That's why we're persecuted. We're not owned by those things. And Jesus says, look, you used to be owned by those things. I chose you out of that world. And now I own you. Now you're beholding to no one but me. <laughs> when we become Christians, he changes our identity. He changes our values. And we're beholding to no one but God. That's how you end up getting persecuted. 
Jesus, Jesus, like he's trying to help us understand, like I, Jesus saying, I have cut the roots out from underneath all your past idol, uh, idols, all the things that gave you meaning and purpose. I cut, I cut the roots to even your race, uh, to your social status, to your political party, whatever it might be, the things that defined you. And I've given you a new definition and a new citizenship. I've given you new values of what is right and real and true. They're absolute. And the culture, the world, will fear that you have no fear but God alone. Then when you have that identity in Christ, it, it can, like, you can get along with the culture, the, the world, and, you'll, and then eventually you'll find out. Like, in other words, I know who I am in Christ, and now I'm going to get involved in like, issues of social justice or the environment or whatever it might be, those things that are right and real and true that are good ethically. You do those things because of your identity in Christ, but somewhere along the line, there'll be a moment, there'll be a line in the sand where it's like, you did not drink the Kool-Aid, did you? No, I didn't. I'm independent of this world. I'm not of this world. I'm going to kick you out of the playhouse. <laughs> They're going to try to reprogram you or marginalize and humiliate you, call you names, or what's next. That's how it happens. You see, it's happening all around us. Jesus said, don't be surprised. <laughs> Look what they did to me. It's like, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be hated because you're, you're not from here. You have an alien nationality. <laughs> you have an alien home. You have an alien heart. You have alien values. And the last thing he says, you have an alien cause. Look what he says in 26 and 27. He says, uh, but when the helper comes, whom I, uh, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, now he will, be a, he will bear witness to me and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The third reason we're going to be persecuted and hated is because, <laughs> because we're going to be giving out the good news. I mean, it's called good news. It doesn't sound that like, well, why would they hate us? Because the good news is this. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. And that message, when he says, you know, that he's giving us this cause and we'll bear witness to him. That message is not well received, at least for a couple of reasons I could think of it. And the first one is, you know, the message of the good news starts, it's got a terrible introduction, okay? It starts like this. It's a, it's a problem solved message, news. And the problem is that you, me, mankind, but individually, we are so desperately sin-filled that there is not one thing that we could do that would bring any righteousness to the audience of the holiness of God. Not a thing. The Bible says declaratively true that the first point in salvation is repentance is required. That's not a great start. <laughs> the Bible says, Jesus says, we're salt of the world. And we have a figure of speech. That's like throwing salt on a wound. Well, yeah, why would you throw salt on a wound? Because that's the first, it's, it's a process of making something better. It heals. But it hurts. 
The first part of the message is, oh, this is going to hurt. The second part of the message is that we're so sinful that all we can do is claim faith in the promise that Jesus gave us that his death and resurrection would pay all of our debts towards God. All of it. It's like 100% is faith in Jesus alone. And that gives us assurance of salvation. And that, that can come off as, as arrogant. So you're telling me you absolutely know you're going to heaven? That's pretty proud of you. It's like, no, I, look, I mean, I, yes, I'm absolutely going to heaven, but not because of what I've done. <laughs> it's be, well, it's, it's, I, I brought sin. Jesus brought salvation. I'm trusting in that alone. And so I have confidence, but not in myself, but in his death and resurrection. And so, listen, here's a part of it that's especially humiliating. So there's nothing I can do for salvation that could get me to heaven and say, well, I did my part. I mean, I did a little, not as bad as the guy down the street, and I did as best as I could. There's none of that in the salvation message, the good news. Right. The only thing you can ever talk about is how far you have gone from God's holiness. The good news, the message is humiliating from the start to the end. You have to acknowledge a debt, a, a sinfulness that's so grievous that you can't do anything about it. And then even at salvation, you're still bragging only about the works of Christ. Pascal said, too much grace embitters some people. And that's why people will hate you for this alien message, this alien cause. <laughs> Jesus says this good news is going to lead to your persecution. Here's Jesus' teaching. Brace yourself, kids, <laughs> children, my girls, my boys. They persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. I think I hope once you understand that what's happened inside of your soul has absolutely revolutionized who you are. Now you have an alien home. It's going to be hard. You won't feel comfortable here. Out of place. You'll be homesick You'll, you'll inherit absolute values, alien values, and then you have this alien cause, and it's all going to lead to the world not understanding you at best and being angry at you. They're going to call you names. You give money away sacrificially. Some of you give money sacrificially, things like the source to your church. What's that about? We're just living for the here and now, remember? We're hobbits. You're, you're involving yourself in, in forgiving your enemies and, and loving your enemies. You know what that looks like? That looks like you're weak and people are going to run over you and take advantage of you. And you say, that's what they did to Jesus. I'm following him. He called me out of this world and this world system and I'm going to love my enemies and I'm going to forgive them. It changes everything. And Jesus is telling us there's consequences for that. It changes our choices. There's a beautiful story of two Moravian missionaries in the, I think, early 1800s. And there was, there was this huge slave colony in um, the West Indies. And they were trying to figure out how to bring the good news of forgiveness of Jesus Christ, the gospel, into those slave colonies, into that slave colony. And these two couldn't come up with any other way. So the only way to do that is to become slaves. So they sold themselves into a lifetime of slavery so that they could get moved to 
the slave camps of the West Indies. Why would they do that? Because they weren't the hobbits that never left the Shire. They were a different kind of hobbit. They were the ones that <laughs> were born again, born from above. They had a whole new heart with a whole new set of ethics and values with a whole new cause. They weren't living anymore for safety and security and glee and reputation. They were living for the glory of God. Jesus said there will be persecution. <laughs> Embrace it. Remember how, the, you remember how the passage started? So therefore, love one another. I command you to love one another. In the midst of persecution, could we just pause and say, you know, same team? Why do we get mixed up on peripheral this world stuff and ruin reputations and, and relationships that have gone on for decades with our brothers and sisters for something as petty as fill in the blank? Love one another. Because you're going to be persecuted on the outside. I'm going to send you on great adventures. And in these expressions of living your life for the glory of God, I'm not going to make a priority out of your health or your safety, your reputation, or your financial well-being. Because this life is very short, and this world is really quite small. And you're not even part of this world. I called you out of that. Jesus just wanted you to know in the last teaching that he gives his disciples of what to expect next. Me, I'm grateful. Someone wrote it down. So we can expect this persecution because of this new heart and soul. Enjoy. <laughs> this is going to hurt. Let's pray. Lord, I, I am grateful that uh, we wouldn't have to be surprised about what's next. And that we have been so revolutionized and transformed. We, we didn't, you didn't make us better. You made us new. You made us new citizens of a new place. We long for heaven. And until then, we see you face to face in that great homecoming. I'd ask that you would cause us to live a life that's dangerously obedient to your calling in our lives. We'd follow, follow you at wherever you lead us. And then we wouldn't be surprised when our values that are absolute commandments from you come in conflict with the world around us. That that leads to us being marginalized, humiliated, censored, whatever it might be. We consider it a privilege to suffer along with you. Lord, we're asking that you would cause this church to be a church that looks forward to opportunities to show ourselves out of the world and not in the world. I'd ask that your spirit would convict us of times that we have made our identity in something that's temporary and petty and so worldly, that we might repent of that and find ourselves drawing ourselves to these truths that you've given us about who we are and what you've made us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.